your Bibles are open to uh, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at uh, several portions of Scripture tonight. I don't plan to be terribly long, uh, but an important truth that I'd like to put before you. The Gospels give us four separate accounts of the life of Christ. They, if you will, let us see the Lord Jesus Christ from four different vantage points. The passage in Matthew that corresponds to the Luke 13 text is Matthew chapter 23. And if, if you put these two texts together, you find out that the Savior has had a difficult day dealing with confrontation. I'm not sure about anybody else. I don't like confrontation. It's unnerving and it is upsetting. But his enemies have come to him one group after another, trying to trap him in his words, trying to find fault with him. The Pharisees have come. The Sadducees have come. There was a third group called the Herodians who were a, a political arm of the Jewish people who thought that they would somehow usher in the, the reign of the Messiah through uh, military and, and uh, that, that type of a, of a use. And they were loyal to King Herod. And the Savior was able to, by Scripture, shoot down their arguments one after another and even though he was right and he could show them from the Bible that he was right, it did not make them love him anymore and it did not make them yield uh, and say, you know what, you are right and we are wrong. They just dug in a little more. In our text in verse 31, it says the same day, the same day that all of these different challenges came to him. The Bible says the same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, get thee out. And depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. They were not being Jesus' friend here saying, hey, we just want you to know we heard King Herod's after you. You probably ought to get out of here. Uh, they were, if you will, issuing a death threat, saying if you do not leave, you're going to die. We already know from the Gospels that that was their goal. It had been for a long time to try to find a way to put him to death because they were so envious of him and they, they were so angry at his message. And of course, the Savior was undaunted by that and he just said, you just go tell that old fox uh, that I'm going to do the work of God and I'm going to be here as long as I'm supposed to be here uh, and so forth. But it's been a difficult day of challenge after challenge after challenge. But look, if you would, please, to verse number 34. The Savior turns from them and he turns to just the city of Jerusalem as a whole. And he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. The Savior's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He's lamenting over them. And as he does so, he talks about their history. He goes, you have a history. God sends prophets to you and you killed them. You stoned them. They, they persecuted Jeremiah. The prophet Isaiah was put inside of a hollow log and, and sawn in half while he was still alive. And, and, and uh, preacher after preacher that God sent to them, they treated in that manner. And now they've done the same thing, throwing it into his face, the son of God himself. He said, if you could only understand how much I wanted to bless you, 
how often I would have drawn you to me like a hen does her chicks and just put you under the shelter of my wings and I would have taken care of you and I would have protected you. I had so much that I wanted to do for you. Look at the last few words of verse 34 again. He says, and ye would not. God has given to man something called free will. Now, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for our God. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, John said, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent means all-powerful. He said, the Lord, God omnipotent, reigneth. Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 32, 17, our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. God responded to Jeremiah in the same chapter and said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jesus declared in Matthew 28 and verse 18, he said, uh, Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. God is all powerful. Uh, God is in control. God sustains everything. God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. There's never been a moment that God has been anything but that. But God in his sovereignty has decided that he is going to allow us as weak and puny as we are in his presence to have this thing called free will where we get to choose are we going to receive him as our savior or not? Are we going to obey him or not? God's not going to force any one of us to do anything. I do not believe in the doctrine of predestination that teaches that God created some people and predestinated them to go to heaven and they'll go to heaven. They have no choice in the matter and there are others that are predestined to go to hell. That is not the God of the Bible. The Bible said whosoever will. Let him come. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If only uh, the people in the center of this room were predestined to go to heaven and the rest of you have no choice in that, then God did not love the whole world. He only loved this part of the world. And that makes the Bible untrue because it says that God so loved the world. God does not make anybody get saved and God does not make anybody reject Christ. He's left that up to us. John chapter 1 says, He came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Revelation chapter 22, the Bible says, In the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. I'm a believer in the free will of man. And God wants our response to him to always be willing. God's not looking for robots. God's not looking for slaves. God's looking for people who respond to him of their own free will and choose him. 
Turn in your Bibles, if you would, for a moment to Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35. I don't know if you are keeping up with the Bible reading calendar that we handed out in January. I'm enjoying it a great deal. And uh, I've talked to several that are husbands and wives, several couples that are doing it as sort of a, a devotion together as a family and so forth. Uh, but as I went through Exodus 35, uh, the Lord pointed out a few verses to me. Uh, I have many of them highlighted and underlined in my Bible. They're getting ready to build the tabernacle. Though it was a portable structure, part of it was tent-like, part of it was building-like, the total cost for the whole thing ran up into the hundreds of millions of dollars because of the gold, the silver, the precious stones and so forth that went into it. And as they are uh, getting ready to amass all the materials for that, look at verse 5. Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a what? Willing heart, let him bring it. An offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass and purple and, scar and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skin and sheetam wood and oil for the light and spices for anointing oil for the sweet incense and onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. They needed all of these things. And he said, I'm not going to command anybody to give me anything whoever is willing-hearted. Now understand, these are people that have been slaves for 400 years. Slaves don't have real high pay. Uh, generally, slaves don't get any pay. They, they lived on a subsistence level, but the night they left Egypt, God told them to borrow of all their Egyptian neighbors gold and silver and garments and stuff like that. God was making sure they got 400 years of back pay. And so they did so. So you got these people that were slaves their entire lives, and suddenly they've got all this wealth. I, I mean, they got diamonds and rubies and emeralds. I mean, huge, enormous ones. They, they've, got, they've got so much gold, and they've got nowhere to spend it. The nearest mall hasn't even been invented yet. Uh, they have nowhere to go shopping, but, but these, these people that were slaves are suddenly extremely wealthy, and now God says we're going to build a place for the worship of Almighty God. He said, but I'm not going to command any one of you to give anything, only those who are willing-hearted. That's what God is looking for. Same chapter, look at verse 21. Verse 21. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made what? willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle, the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered an offering of gold, uh, offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. And he gives that uh, a list repeating much of what was asked for earlier in that chapter. Look at verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. You understand all through the Bible is this teaching that God is looking for people who will respond to him willingly. 
So when the Savior laments in Luke 13 and in Matthew 23 over the city of Jerusalem, he said, if you only knew how often I wanted to bless you, and ye would not. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 31. We need to be convinced of the Bible truth that God wants to bless us. That is God's plan. That is God's desire. I didn't say that God's plan is for all of us to be rich. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. But God does want to bless us. God wants to enrich our lives. God wants us to have peace and joy. God wants us to have our daily bread. Uh, God wants to use us. God wants to do a great work in our lives. And that is found throughout the Bible. Uh, Psalm 31, look if you would please to verse number 19. This is a Psalm of David. He said, oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. So David is rejoicing and exulting in, in the magnitude of God's goodness. He says, but God's laid that up for those that fear him. He's, he's put that aside for those that trust in him. So God wants to bless. He just wants to know, are we willing to be blessed? Or do we want that for ourselves? Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Here the prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel, the same one, the same city that Jesus lamented over, the city of Jerusalem. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. This is a great verse. This is a great verse. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. See, the, the Jewish people in Jeremiah's day saw God as their enemy. They saw the commandments of God as difficult and abrasive. They saw God as trying to limit them and, and keep them from, from enjoying life as, as the, the heathen supposedly did around them. And God said, you don't understand me. You don't understand how I think. He said, because when I think of you, he said, my thoughts towards you, they're thoughts of peace, not of evil. God doesn't want us uh, to suffer in, in trouble and anguish. He doesn't want to suffer, us the suffer from the consequences of sin. Yeah, we'll go through trials, but even that, even then God said, my grace is going to be more than sufficient for you. God said, I just wish you would trust me that that's what I want. I want to give you an expected end. When Joseph went through all of the trials in his, uh, his incredible life, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, after the death of his father, his brothers that had so badly mistreated him came to him. And a lot of years had gone by since they'd come to Egypt and that, that family had been restored and the reunion had taken place. But in the back of their mind, they were just waiting for Joseph to lower the boom on them. They just couldn't believe that someone could forgive them so completely. And in their mind, they feared that Joseph was waiting until Jacob died, their father. And then he was going to get revenge on these guys. He just didn't want to do it sooner. He didn't want to grieve his dad. So they came to him, and they came with a story. We don't know if it's true or not. They said, look, our dad 
told us before we died to come to you and ask you one more time to just forgive us for the wrong that we did and, and just please don't hold that against us. By the way, regrets are awful hard things to live with. You understand, they did wrong to him when he was 17 years of age. He was 39 years old when they met him again for the first time. By the time Genesis 50 has come along, they've been down in Egypt for about another 20 years. Um, and, and still, after all that time, they're carrying that guilt and they're carrying that regret. Joseph was grieved by their request, and he said, as for you, you meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is this day. Joseph grabbed a hold of this truth of God that even when God allows difficulties into our lives, that God means it for good. God has a plan. And beloved, we need to grab a hold. That's a Bible truth. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. That is a, that is a Bible truth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This verse I learned in Bible college, and I can't tell you how many hundreds of times that I have gone back to this. I have quoted it probably hundreds of times in sermons just to you. But in verse number 9 of 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Isn't that an amazing truth? Can anybody here say with me that in your Christian life, you've already seen God do some pretty wonderful things? Can anybody, if, if we were honest about it, we could testify here for hours on, on end at the amazing things which, which God has done. Uh, I've been saved this year. It'll be 51 years. Um, I was a bus kid. Nobody much expected much out of me. I was a bus kid. And, and yet God's allowed me to preach in England. He's allowed me to preach in Germany and Mexico, all over the country, big crowds and small. He's allowed me to start a church. He's allowed me to be a youth pastor. Uh, he's allowed me to be a pastor of this wonderful church for 25 years. I've seen God answer prayer. I've seen God work miracles. I, I've seen God do things that I, I, uh, I just never dreamed that I would see of. And yet the Bible says that my eyes have yet to see, my ears have yet to hear, and I can't even imagine the things that God still has prepared for me. 1 Corinthians 2.9 is not a verse about heaven. It is a verse about our journey on the way there of all that God wants to do for us. That is why the Savior was lamenting over Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13. He said, how often when I've drawn you together, I would have protected you. I'd have sheltered you. I'd have provided for you and ye would not. It's all a matter of how are we going to exercise our free will. No one is going to stand at the great white throne judgment of God and find that their name is not written in the uh, Lamb's book of life and be cast into the lake of fire who can honestly look at God and say, well, I wanted to get saved. You just wouldn't save me. That is never going to happen. They might try to make the accusation, but that's not the heart of God. 
And we need to understand God wants to bless us. God wants to talk to us. God wants to answer our prayers. But the question is, are we willing to let God do that? Do we have that willing heart that those people in the book of Exodus had? By the way, hundreds of years later, when David was building or getting things ready to build the temple of Solomon, the exact same phenomenon happened in Israel that they brought so much stuff, they just stopped numbering how much iron they had and how much brass they had and how much gold they had. There was no way to, 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 to count the, the, the value of it anymore because the people just kept coming and bringing with a willing heart. Nobody was forced to here's a question does God have to force you to obey him does he have to force you to go to church does anybody have to force you to do that does God have to put your back against the wall in some dire circumstance before you even consider praying does God, does God have to put you in such a situation you understand that's not the heart of God that's not the plan of God God is looking for those who are willing to express our will and say, Lord, I want to be blessed as much as you want to bless me. In your Bible, we receive and read many, many commandments from God. They are non-negotiable. They're non-negotiable. For example, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, look not upon the wine when it moveth itself aright, when it giveth forth its color in the cup. I'm not even supposed to look at booze. That's the commandment of God. But did you know that God will not stop me from drinking? He's given me a free will. I can, I can drink. He, I, he says I shouldn't. He says not to even look at it. But he's not going to stop me from doing that. The Bible says clearly thou shalt not steal. But he's not going to stop you from stealing. The Bible says thou shalt not bear false witness but he's not going to stop you from lying. The Bible says that those that sow discord among brethren are an abomination to the Lord, but he's not going to stop you from gossiping. He's, he's put the commandments out there. He's put the teachings out there, but he's not going to make you obey them. That has to be a choice that you make with your own will with your own will. You say, well, I'm in church tonight and it's not my will. My parents made me come, but sooner or later, you'll decide for yourself if you're going to go to church. Sooner or later, you're going to decide if you're going to read your Bible. Sooner or later, you're going to, you're going to decide for yourself, are you going to stay moral? Are you going to pray? Are you going to live for God? Are you going to live for self? Because God gave you a free will and your parents can only guide you in that for so long. And then it's out of their hands and you'll choose. How are you going to choose? How are you going to choose? Please understand those commandments of God are non-negotiable. Uh, the Bible says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So I'm not supposed to skip church. I'm not supposed to set that aside. I'm supposed to go to church, but God's not going to make me show up. Free will. I've got that. How many follow? It's all through the Bible. It's all through the Bible. Not only with the commandments of God, but you understand the promises of God are the same way. God has given these promises. They're undeniable. They're clearly stated in the Bible, but God's not going to make us claim them. For example, the Bible says, call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Does it not? Didn't Jesus say, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. 
And he made the promise along that everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. What an amazing doubly repeated promise from Almighty God, but he's not going to make you pray. He's just going to say, I, I've given you this promise that if you ask, I will answer. I'll show you amazing, wonderful things. I'll provide for you, but he's not going to make you pray. That has to have happen with an act of your own free will. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Years ago in Bible class, taught through the book of Proverbs, and we memorized Proverbs chapters uh, 3 and, I think, uh, 3 and 4, uh, something like that. Uh, please look, if you would, verse 5, a very familiar passage. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, there is a promise from God. If I take every step that I take and say, Lord, show me the step I'm supposed to take. Lord, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my vocation. I trust you with everything. The Bible says if I trust him with all my heart and, and before I make any decision, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? God promises I'll direct your path. As for God, all his ways are perfect. God will never lead us wrong. He'll never lead us unwisely. So there's a, a wonderful promise that God's given, but he's not gonna make you trust him. He's not going to make you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That is an act of your will where you claim his promise or not. Look what it says in verse number seven. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Be not wise with thine own eyes is, means uh, don't think that you know everything. Don't think that you're smarter than God. Don't think that you're smarter than the Bible. Don't think that you're smarter than your parents. Don't think that you're smarter than your teacher. Be not wise in thine own eyes. If God, if God's word, if your parents have, have sat down and said, this is right and this is wrong, don't, don't go carrying on. Well, I know more than them. My parents are just stupid. They're just old fashioned. He said, don't be like that. He said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Just fear the Lord. Believe God, trust God and stay away from evil. Well, I don't see what's wrong with it. Did you know it doesn't matter if you can see what's wrong with it? If God said, stay away from it, stay away from it. That's all you need. That's all you need to know. Um, well, everybody else is doing it and they're not dropping dead. That, that, that doesn't matter. If God said it's wrong, it's wrong. And God makes the promise. If you do that, you, you fear the Lord, you depart from evil, it'll be health to your navel, marrow to your bones. He's talking about a healthy life. Do you realize the diseases that exist in our world today that are the consequences of sin? And I'm not just talking the ones associated with immorality. My, my dear dad died of COPD because for 66 years of his life, he sucked cigarettes like there was no tomorrow. Um, you can't put poison in your body without being poisoned. You just can't do it. You can't put drugs in your system without it messing your system up. You can't consume alcohol. Every, they say that every drink of alcohol kills brain cells. I, I know people, I don't know if they drink or not, but they don't have any brain cells left. Just watch the news. 
Here's what God's saying. You want to live a healthy life? Just obey God. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. But God's not going to make you do that. God's going to let you make the choice for yourself. Look at verse number 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Don't give God second best. Don't give God your leftovers. You honor the Lord with your substance. I'm a believer in tithes and offerings. I'm a believer in that. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. I'm a believer that you can't outgive God. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the God that I serve. Uh, and I'm a, a believer in that. So we, we have the, if you will, the promise in verse 9, but it's attached to it. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, God's not going to reach down in your bank account and take your tithe out. I actually had somebody tell me one time that, he, that they get nervous and jerky every time I mention an offering. They actually, they get nervous and jerky. And it's like, keep your wallet to yourself. God doesn't want your stuff. If that's the way you feel about it, God's looking for people with a willing heart in, in every way. But man, if you believe God and you, you know that God's been good, what does the Bible say? God loveth a, what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Anybody hear that God has not been good to you? How many here can say God's really been good to me? How many deserve the goodness of God that he's shown you? I don't deserve an, an ounce of it, and yet God has done, done so much. For, for, for me to be stingy and, and greedy and, 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 and reluctant and sharing that which, uh, uh, which, which God's given to me is, is boy, that's, there's something wrong about that. God makes the promise. He said, you honor me with your substance, with the first fruit of all of your increase. And he said, you watch what I do. You watch what I do. We serve a mighty good God. But the bottom line of all of this, God wants to bless us. God gives us these incredible promises. God gives us these commandments, but God's not going to force us to do any of it. He's just not. If we could make people get saved, we would, wouldn't we? Knowing what we know. Parents, grandparents, if we could make our children, grandchildren get saved, honor the Lord, serve the Lord, live for God, wouldn't we do it? But we know we can't. There comes a point in everybody's life, they've got to decide for themselves, will I choose Christ as my Savior? Will I follow the Lord in believer's baptism? Will I yield to the Lord my time, my talent, my treasure? Will I trust the Lord with all my heart? Will I, and you just finish with whatever Bible verse you want, God's looking for some people that are willing to let him do the work to keep the promises. He's not going to force you to do it. But understand this, we exercise our free will. We get to make the choice. But we do not get to choose the consequences. I grew up in the 60s, and every afternoon after school, there was a television game show on. And usually my mom was watching it when we got home as she folded the laundry, something like that, called Let's Make a Deal. How many remember that? With Monty Hall, 
People come into the studio dressed in all stupid things, hoping that they were going to get chosen to be on here. And, uh, you know, the premise, they put several offers out there. Sometimes it'd be box A or box B. And, uh, you know, one uh, might be a gag gift and one might be something really elegant, that type of thing. Uh, and you could choose A or B. And just when you're about to, to, to make it, or you could have what's behind the curtain over there. How many remember all those? I don't think I'd have survived on that show. I'm way too indecisive about that. And, uh, but once you made your choice, and whether it's you, you, you had something and you traded to him and you made the trade off and it was done and the curtain opened, it didn't matter. Some, one time it really was a goat pulling a little wooden wagon. I remember that vividly, um, and it, you know, it could have been that or a shiny new 1967 car, which now would be worth a lot of money uh, if it had been taken care of, uh, that type of thing. You got to choose the curtain, you got to choose the box, you got to choose the door, but once the choice was made, whatever was behind there was yours. You get to choose whether you're going to get saved or not. But you, if you choose to reject Christ as Savior, you can't expect to go to heaven someday. You won't. The, the consequence is just the opposite. You get to choose however you're going to live your life. You get to choose where you go, whether you're going to do right or not. But you cannot choose the consequence. Look, you get to choose how you're going to talk about people. You get to choose how you're going to talk about people behind, other, behind their back and to all kinds of... You get to choose that. It's America... God's giving you that right, but you do not get to choose the consequence of having a reputation of being a gossip. And you don't get to choose the consequences of some people backing away saying, I, don't, I just don't trust that person. All they do is talk bad about other people. See, you made a choice. You now have to live with that consequence. You can choose not to pray. But you have to live with the consequence. James said in James chapter four, you have not because you ask not. So God's not gonna make me pray. So I can just ignore him and I don't have to pray, but I can't expect God to, to pour out his blessing and take care of me and lead, guide, and direct if I'm ignoring the opportunity and the offer to pray. God's given you a Bible. I was thinking about this this afternoon. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 15, he's going through a hard time. And he made this statement in verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. He didn't mean he tore out a page and literally watered it up. It means he, he mentally and spiritually consumed the word of God. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name. O Lord God of hosts. So Jeremiah consumed the word of God and the truth of God's word in the midst of his troubles and difficulties gave him such peace and joy and assurance and the power of God. We read some of the things God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? That was God speaking to him. Jeremiah said, I found such help from the word of God. I, 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 was, I, I, I consumed the word of God. Listen carefully. Do you know you and I have over twice as much of the Bible as he did? Think about that. We have all that Jeremiah did 
plus all the rest. The Gospels weren't written. The book of Acts wasn't written. The epistles weren't written. Revelation wasn't written yet. The whole life of Christ wasn't placed on the, on the printed page for us to understand uh, and so forth. He had the promises of the Savior. We get to read about the fulfillment. We've got all of it. He just had a portion of it, but he consumed what he had and it filled him with such a joy that it gave him the strength to carry on. You've got the same Bible. You can choose to be just like Jeremiah. I'm going to consume the word of God. I can eat the word of God and you'll find the same joy. Or you can say, it's just a, just a boring book. I'm not going to read it. Your choice. But you'll never know the joy that he had. That's a consequence. We get to choose how we're going to respond to God. We all get to do that. Young and old, layman, pastor. We all get to choose whether we're going to be obedient to God or not. We do not get to choose the consequence. So the Savior is looking at Jerusalem. It's not long before the cross, and he knows that. And he cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathereth her chicks? How much I wanted to bless you but I couldn't because you would not. You and I are as close to God as we want to be. We are as right with God as we want to be. We are as blessed of God as we want to be. God's looking for some people with a willing heart. Father in heaven, thank you for the Bible.